Good morning, everybody. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. Before we get into our text this morning, um, I want to give you uh, an update on our new gathering plan, place and the plan for uh, the next month or so. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we have been in this building since the beginning of November, I believe. Uh, and if you don't know, we were sweating in October as it was getting colder and um, we were trying to figure out where are we going to meet. And uh, Soma Midtown, our sister church here, uh, they've been meeting over at the fairgrounds, uh, just larger space for them. They're a larger uh, church than we are. And so um, they graciously opened this place up for us. Uh, and this has been such a blessing, hasn't it? Um, to have kids space, to have a sanctuary we can come and, and worship. And so this is our last Sunday here. Um, this is our last Sunday here. And I want to encourage you, um, if you know Pastor Brandon, Pastor James, if you know some of the leaders at Soma Midtown, maybe this afternoon, just send them a text, uh, give them a call, just tell them how much we appreciate their hospitality uh, and how much of a blessing that this space has been for us over the winter months. Um, as Pastor Nate said, we're making a transition. Um, this marks the ending of one season, and we're getting ready to go into a new season. Um, we uh, will be moving in, hopefully sooner than later, to our new gathering place over around 71st and Georgetown Road here in a few weeks. Um, next Sunday, though, we will be observing a renewal Sunday. If you've been around SOMA, we've done these, we do these periodically. It's just a Sunday where we do not gather together, but it's just a, a, a Sunday where we can sleep in, we can get together for breakfast or brunch with friends, we can do something fun uh, with our family or just have a lazy morning. It's just an opportunity for us to rest and renew, especially those of us who who serve on Sunday. It's a good uh, a chance for us to be able to pull back a little bit and rest that Sunday morning. So next Sunday, the 30th, we will not gather together, but we will gather again the following Sunday, June 6th, and we will be gathering back at our old friend, The Field, uh, 71st, and Rotobaugh. And what's significant about this that that Sunday, June sixth, and it marks the one year anniversary of our first gathering out there in the field. Um, when we were coming out of lockdown last spring, um, this field that's owned by Pastor Nate's parents, um, they graciously opened that place up to us, and that provided us a meeting space through those months, through the summer months and into the fall, when a lot of churches weren't able to gather together in their buildings because of social distancing and, and some other things, like this provided us an opportunity to gather together. And I know uh, we were, it was such a, it, it was just an encouraging opportunity in the midst of all the upheaval of the spring and the summer to be able to gather on a consistent basis outside with each other. So, I want you to mark that on your calendar, plan to join us that Sunday. We're going to meet out there in that field at 10 a.m. We're going to sing and, and pray and share, reflect back on the year that was um, and God's faithfulness to us uh, as we look forward to this new season. And so we're going to have a good time, so plan to be there uh, with us that morning. That afternoon, um, we are planning a work party at our new gathering place. Um, there's a number of things that uh, we need to do just to get the place ready. Um, we need to clean and deep clean some areas. Uh, we need to get some of our furnishings in, um, in in their classrooms. We have about 150 chairs, just like the ones that you're sitting in right now, that we need to assemble. Uh, we, we're saving some money on, on the assembly there, and we're like, ah, oh, we can do it our, on our own. So um, we're going to have uh, some people doing that in the sanctuary. But it's just an opportunity to get our hands dirty a little bit, prepare this place. Um, we'll probably get some donuts and some other things um, there. But 
I'll give you more information as we uh, move closer to that Sunday, uh, what time we'll gather over there. But it'll probably be a situation where, you know, go grab something to eat. And, and uh, I, I would say, however, if you have younger kids, it's probably not going to be the best uh, environment for them to be there running around. We're going to have a lot of tools out and be cleaning a lot of things and people everywhere. So um, if you want to come and, and you're able to arrange childcare for your kids during that time, uh, that'd be great. Um, we'll probably be there all afternoon into maybe the early evening, but even if you can just come for an hour or so and help out, uh, any help will be appreciated. So that's that afternoon, June 6th. And um, tentatively, we are planning to do a soft opening, uh, gathering together on Sunday, June 13th. Um, we are, a lot of the major work on this facility is going to be wrapped up hopefully this week. Um, so there might be a few things that we're still working on, but we are planning to be there uh, and just have a soft opening where we're just getting our feet wet, we're, we're seeing what we need. Might be a little bit more of a scaled down uh, gathering that Sunday but we will plan to be in there on the 13th um, and celebrate together our new place. Um, we are going to do a grand opening celebration sometime in June where we can invite uh, friends from our other Soma churches, community members um, that have tracked with us and been you know, really encouraging with us, opportunity for us to invite people from the neighborhood, from the community. Um, and so we haven't landed on a date for that as of yet, but uh, when we do, we will let you know, um, and we're going we're gonna to do a nice big celebration um, on a Sunday sometime, probably mid-July. Mid so anyway, those are the scheduling things. If you have questions uh, about those, feel free to reach out uh, for clarification. One more thing before, before I wrap this up. Um, this gives us an opportunity to extend and practice hospitality in a new way. Um, think of this as we've bought a new house and now we're making that house our home. We're putting our fingerprints on it. Uh, we're, we're organizing it in a way that reflects who we are and what's important to us so that as we come, as, as folks from our community come, um, as we establish ourselves as a consistent presence uh, there in our neighborhood. This is an opportunity for us to open up the doors, to help people feel welcome, to invite people into a safe place where they'll be loved, where they can laugh and cry and, and have fun and get their hands dirty in the work of the ministry. Um, this is our opportunity to do this in a way that we haven't done it before. And so um, we're going to ask for your help. We're going to ask for you uh, to look at this as your home, um, and to put your fingerprints on it as well. So we have a number of different needs that we want to invite you into to bring your talents, your gifts, your vision, um, your presence. Um, when we have talked about hospitality in the past, uh, it's normally been going to Starbucks and picking up coffee and setting up some folding tables, which is definitely a part of it. But this gives us an opportunity, this, this new place gives us an opportunity to see hospitality in a much bigger perspective and a much more holistic uh, way. And so um, over the next coming week, over the coming weeks, we are going to reach out and say, hey, we need some help cleaning um, and establishing a, a rotation where uh, some indi uh, an individual or a, a small team of people can get on a schedule to come in and do just some basic cleaning during the week to clean some things up. Um, we're going to need a, a team that oversees just security. It's something we haven't had to think about before, but just making sure that um, our building is, is locked up and, and people are getting in the building when they need to get in. And then while um, we're worshiping, while our kids are in there, uh, that just, you know, our, our doorways are being monitored, those kind of things. Um, obviously, you know, when we get to a point where we're making coffee and and having goodies and, and putting out different things um, for folks who may be visiting. Um, we're going to need some help and some coordination with that as well. So lots to do, uh, lots of fun things to do. And I'm really looking forward to this because this is going to give us a chance for all of us to get involved and to put 
uh, our stamp on this building and grow into it because we plan on being here for years and years. So anyway, if you have questions or thoughts, if if you're like, hey, I, I would really be interested in helping serve in this particular way, um, I would love to talk to you about that. Also, Brian Gornick is running point on our facility team, and you can talk to Brian about that as well. Um, before we transition into our text, I just want to, I want to, um, I want to have a brief time of prayer. Um, and I want us to pray specifically for Soma Midtown. Um, they are going to be moving back into this space uh, at the beginning of July. And so they're going to be spending the next month organizing, figuring out what that's going to look like. I think just because of their size, they're going to have to do two services. Um, and so they're trying to figure out what that coordination looks like with volunteers and just how to how to move back into this place that they've been away from for the better part of a year. But also just that, that God would bless that transition, um, that it would be seamless, uh, that it would invite people from this neighborhood and this community to come um, who are looking to reconnect with a church community. Um, and so I, again, out of gratitude for us, uh, for, for their hospitality towards us, uh, we want to lift them up to the Lord together. So would you pray with me um, just as I lift them up together uh, and, and ask God to bless their moving back in and their plans moving forward? Heavenly Father, we're really thankful for the family of churches that we're a part of. We're thankful for Soma Midtown. We're thankful that they love us and that they care for us, um, that they have quickly jumped in whenever they can to help us meet a need and to support the things that are going on here um, in our church community. Thank you for Pastor Brandon and Pastor James uh, and their leadership. And I pray that as they, along with um, Joel and, and Robin and, and Megan and Miles and others um, are planning to make the transition from the fairgrounds back here and all of the different details that they're going to have to uh, figure out and the different plates that they're going to be spinning over the next month. Uh, I just pray that you would give them calm and, and peace and clear direction. Um, I pray that uh, you would remove just um, some of the, the hiccups that could come with making a move like this. Um, I pray that as they move back into this space, that it would be encouraging for um, the people at Soma Midtown, um, that it would feel like coming back home and that it would give them a renewed sense of energy and, and vision and connectedness um, with each other. I pray over the next year um, as they come back here on Sundays and are here Sunday after Sunday, that you would bring people from the neighborhoods around here, uh, people from Broad Ripple, uh, people coming down from Carmel. I pray that this would be a haven of rest for folks who are trying to figure out how to re-enter life, um, who are dealing with all of the things, um, just mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, from the last year. I pray that they would find um, life and, and health and healing in this Midtown community here. So thank you for the blessing of being able to meet here. Um, thank you that your spirit has met us here each and every Sunday. And we pray that you would continue to do the same for our brothers and sisters at Soma Midtown. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Well, if you would turn to Acts chapter 28, we are finishing up our study in the book of Acts. We started uh, our journey in Acts back in September when we were still meeting out in the field. We had just celebrated our three-year church anniversary uh, after a lockdown spring and, and, and just a lot of upheaval in our society, tumultuous summer. As I mentioned, <laughs> we didn't have any plans uh, we didn't have any indoor plans or places to meet at that point. This book has been good to us. It's been a good study. Uh, it's been encouraging. It's been life-giving. Um, it's affirmed who we are and the things that we're doing and challenged us. 
as we continue to grow into maturity. Acts chapter 28. Um, the last couple of weeks, we have looked at the Apostle Paul, and I'll explain a little bit more of his, his journey. But uh, we pick up in verse 11, after Paul has um, been shipwrecked on Malta, the island of Malta. After three months, Luke writes, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. Just a little side note. If you have trouble pronouncing names in the Bible, just say it really quick and with confidence and people think you know what you're talking about. The next day, this... The south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Petulia. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself, with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving of death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you, because it is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything about, bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect, which was the way of Jesus. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to, to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through, the, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Um, as I mentioned, we started this study in the book of Acts last September. And Nate and Andrew and I, we chose to study this book of Acts with you because of all the upheaval and, and all the uncertainty that we had experienced last year, we needed to ground ourselves. We needed to anchor ourselves in something timeless, something that we could sink our teeth into. What it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be the people of God, the community of faith, followers of Jesus? And we entitled this series, Their Story and Ours. And as we have learned more about them, 
their identities, their practices, their societies, their circumstances. I hope that you have been encouraged in the process. Because much of what we've read here, we've experienced here in our lives with each other, in our connection to our neighborhoods and our communities. One of the lessons that this past year has taught us is that we cannot be certain about what the future holds. Our lives, our circumstances, um, the most fundamental uh, realities of, of, of our way of life can change just like that. That we have no control over it. Several themes in the book of Acts have been made real in our experience over this past year. We've seen from Luke's narrative here that we must endure many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We've seen that only the Spirit can truly change minds and transform lives. We've seen that the gospel is not bound by ethnic or cultural constraints. It is free for all people, everywhere, no matter their race, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their culture. And here, as we close out this book, in this passage, we see what is, in my opinion, the overarching theme of Luke's book. God is sovereign. He is faithful to his word and to his people. God is sovereign. And he is faithful to his word and to his people. About a month ago, we read about Paul's decision to return to Jerusalem. Paul had been in Asia Minor. Um, he was traveling from city to city, and he had made the decision to return back to Jerusalem against the advice of his friends. Um, if you remember, Paul had to flee Jerusalem because the Jewish leaders there were trying to kill him because he was stirring up so much um, and, and the way of Jesus was growing there. And so his friends said, don't go back. It's going to be dangerous there for you. But against that advice, Paul says, no, I'm making the decision. I'm going to Jerusalem and then I'm going to make my way to Rome. Paul had longed to visit Rome. He had never been to Rome before. He wanted to go to Rome to fellowship with the believers there and to proclaim the gospel to the citizens of Rome. But while he's in Jerusalem, he's arrested. And he's forced to stand trial before the Jewish religious council there. He avoids an assassination attempt. He has to again stand trial, this time before Roman governor Felix. He was then jailed for two years. And then he was brought back out to stand trial again before the new governor, Festus, and King Agrippa and his wife. And then finally, they decide, well, you want to go to Rome. <laughs> you want to appeal to Caesar that you are innocent, that you've done nothing wrong. We're going to send you to Rome. And as we've seen over the last week or so on their journey, Paul and the other prisoners, the Roman soldiers, and apparently Luke was with Paul on this ship as well, they were allowed, you know, Paul's, some of Paul's friends were allowed to travel with him. This ship was caught up in a, nor, in a northeaster. It was wrecked on the island of Malta. They were given shelter there by the natives of Malta. During Paul's time on Malta, he survived a poisonous snake bite. He healed the father of a chief. He was revered. He was honored. He stayed there for three months on Malta, proclaiming the gospel, spending time with the people there. And finally, as we see in this passage, he sails to Rome. And when he arrives in Rome, he's placed under house arrest. It had been four months since Paul had left Palestine in custody. 
and the journey that he had taken lasted well over a thousand miles, two thousand miles. As I mentioned, Paul had longed to visit Rome. God had promised to him back in chapter 23 that he would make it to Rome. And finally, Paul arrives in Rome, but probably not in the way he wanted to. While Paul is under house arrest here, he sends for the Jewish leaders. He says, I've come to you because I want to explain to you who this Jesus is. They make a date. They show back up. Paul explains the gospel of the kingdom to them. He connects Jesus, the Messiah, to the law and the prophets. And just as we have seen over and over and over in the book of Acts, they listen. Some were convinced. Some said we're not convinced. And we don't believe that what you're saying is true. And Paul's last recorded statement here in Acts reflects and reaffirms Jesus' vision back in Acts chapter 1 that the gospel of the kingdom would not only spread through Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but it would spread throughout the world to different people living in different places from different ethnic identities who spoke different languages. Luke ends this two-volume work, his gospel and then the book of Acts, with another one of his patented summary statements. And this time, it's about the rest of Paul's stay in Rome. Look again at verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What are we to make of the open-endedness of Acts? I've always wondered this, even when I was younger and I would read this. Like, wait, that's it? Like, what, what happens next? We don't know what happens to the rest of the apostles. We don't know what happens to Peter. We don't know what happens to Paul, who was kind of the hero of this story, the last, the last part of uh, Luke's book here. It's incomplete. There's a lot of details that we don't get. We know from extra-biblical sources, like the historian Eusebius, the church father Clement of Rome, tradition that was passed down, that Paul was released from house arrest. Maybe because of insufficient evidence. I mean, he says, I've, I've done nothing wrong. There's no charge. These charges are, are, are baseless. Maybe because no accusers actually came forth to provide evidence for their charges. Whatever the reason, he's released from house arrest. We know that Paul left Rome Maybe he went to Spain. We know from the book to the Romans that he also desired to go to Spain, to minister in Spain. What we do know is that sometime later, Paul returned to Rome. And when he returned, he was arrested again. And this time he wasn't released. And he was executed at the hands of the Roman government. That's a lot of content to leave out. <laughs> That's a lot of good content to leave out of a work like this. But as we've said all along, Luke's aim in writing this was not to provide a blow-by-blow -blow chronological history. Luke has written about the rise and the spread of the gospel, the growth of the Jesus movement, and the religious and social transformation that was brought about by the church. Wherever they were located, they turned these cities upside down. They had an enormous impact. But that is also why Luke leaves this work here unfinished. Because the gospel was still spreading. The church was still growing. The people and places, people and places were still being transformed. This was never a book about the apostles. It was never a book primarily about Peter or about Paul. It was a book about 
the spread of the transforming power of the gospel. The growth of the people of God. What Luke summarizes here in verse 31 is the unstoppable word of God. The unstoppable word of God. Natural events could not stop it. Human opposition could not stop it. Shipwreck, shipwrecks, poisonous snakes, Roman officials could not stop it. Paul's imprisonment and death could not stop it. God is moving. God is making himself known. And nothing, absolutely nothing, in heaven and on earth can stand in God's way. God is faithful to His Word and to His people. And that truth, as we've seen it depicted here in these pages, should give us strength and give us confidence. As Tony and Pastor Nate shared with us in in the last couple of weeks, God's sovereignty does not save us from trial. God's sovereignty does not save us from going through the storm. But God's faithfulness means that as we go through trial, as we pass through storms, that His presence and His power are with us. That He will be with us no matter what. Because it's not about us. It's not about our circumstances. It's not about what's going on in the world around them, around us. God is faithful to His Word. And God is faithful to His people. As I mentioned just a few minutes ago, as we think about what lies ahead for us, as we look over the next year, we've learned that we're not in control. We've learned that our lives can change like that. We've learned that everything that we thought grounded us in reality can be thrown up in upheaval. So as we close this book of Acts, where do we go? How do do we respond to what we've read here in the coming months and years? I want to give you three commitments this morning that I want us to make as a church, taken from the believers here in Acts. A commitment to God's words. A commitment to God's people. And a commitment to God's mission. That no matter what happens, that these commitments will ground us in reality. These commitments will align us with God's will and His desires. So first, a commitment to God's words. If you remember way back in Acts chapter 2, we saw Jews from all over the Roman Empire had, who had made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate, to worship, to feast. And they hear Peter proclaiming the words of the gospel of the kingdom. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What that meant for these Jews is that they were no longer under the authority of Moses. Jesus was their new authority. Everything that they understood about the law and the prophets They were now reimagining and rethinking through the person and work of Jesus Christ. They were understanding this new way of life, a way of life that was going to be shaped by Jesus. And so we come to the end of Acts 2, and Luke summarizes the church in, in Jerusalem and what it looked like. The first thing he said, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And to prayer. When we think of devotion, a lot of times we can think of it in the in the sense of affection or uh, uh, commitment based on desire. And while that's certainly true and certainly applies to uh, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, think about what their situation was. This was a devotion out of necessity. How were they going to figure out how to live and follow Jesus? How were they going to figure out how to make sense of how to 
how to live in the middle of this society that was so radically different than the way of Jesus. They had to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. They had to be grounded in that truth. As we make a commitment to God's Word, we do so because we know it will anchor our convictions, our values, and our practices. Everything we do, everything we believe, the way that we exist in our communities, we find it here. We ground it here. And that keeps us from being haphazard and just doing things because we see other churches doing it or doing things because that is what feels like we should do. It keeps us from being reactionary. That whatever is popular right now or whatever crisis we're going through right now, that we respond to that in a reactionary way. We ground ourselves in God's words. Because we know that that is because we know it's timeless, even though we work it out in different ways based on where we live and the time we live in and what's going on. We find our anchor here. Committing to God's words helps us make sense of thorny issues. And Lord knows we've had to deal with a lot of thorny issues over this past year. We ground ourselves here to make sense of that. Not for our own peace of mind, only for our own peace of mind, but also so that we can be a light and an encouragement to other people. Um, a few months ago, I, a friend of mine reached out that I'd grown up with. Um, and she said, I wanted you to know that the things that you have been posting on Facebook, just some stuff at the beginning of the year related to how we make sense of all the election drama and then the events of January 6th and like just in that whole crazy period of time, Jody and I were just, we were trying to make sense and trying to be helpful with some things that we, po we were posting. And she just said, I want you to know that you've given words to what I was feeling. That you've helped me explain some of these things to my kids and help them navigate this. Help them know how to think about this. And I just remember Jody and I were thinking like, yeah, that's, that's what Jesus said would happen. You know? Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As we ground ourselves in God's Word and make sense of what we're experiencing in this life for ourselves, we also become guides leading other people to the light. And in our society right now where people are scrambling to figure out what do I believe about this? How do I respond to this? What should my view be on this? We can be a church community that is consistently pointing people to truth and pointing people to what is good and what is right because we are grounded in what God says is good, what God says is real. So, from our standpoint up here, we're going to continue to preach and teach from God's Word. We're going to continue to counsel and give wisdom from God's Word. And I want to encourage you moving forward to continue to read God's Word. To continue to talk about what you're reading with each other. To pray over it. To pray the words of Scripture this next year. To wrestle with Scriptures together. To get the Word of God into us so that the life of Jesus can flow out of us. We know that if we are grounded in God's words, we will flourish like that tree planted by streams of water, which bears much fruit. So a commitment to God's words in the coming months and years. Secondly, a commitment to God's people. Think about this commitment on two ways. The first way is kind of a meta commitment, you know, that we change our understanding about who we are and who we belong to. We have more and more increasingly understood over this past year that our bond with 
brothers and sisters in Christ is stronger than familial ties, stronger than ethnic ties, stronger than cultural ties, stronger than political ties. But instead of this identity and this people, this community that we're a part of, making us tribalistic or contributing even further to the polarization of our moment, instead of it making us live in like an us versus them mentality, we have seen here in these pages that their identity was grounded in and shaped by love, hope, and unity. Love, hope, and unity. And that made their commitment to each other manifest itself in very tangible ways. Sacrificial service, forgiveness and reconciliation, looking out for each other and meeting each other's needs, showing mercy and being patient with weaknesses and and immaturities. The reason that the Acts Church were, were such forces in the cities they occupied, they existed in, was because they were so radically different in every way than their surrounding society. They were made up of the same people, but the way that they existed with each other flipped the social order on its head. The way they lived together, empowered by the Spirit, following the words of the apostles. It showed that they were different. And everybody around them saw that. As we commit to each other, as we love each other, forgive each other, as we bear burdens with each other, as we increasingly reflect the diversity of our city, people coming from different backgrounds, different experiences, living different lives in different parts of the city. We come together in unity because of the bond we share in Jesus Christ. Folks, people notice that. Our city sees that. And in an age of increased polarization, hostility, tribalism, seeing a people who come together in love, come together in unity, will do more to show our city what God is really like than maybe anything else we can do. So we commit to each other. We commit to each other in real and intangible ways. And then lastly, we commit to God's mission. We commit to God's mission. I mean, we've seen over and over here that their commitment to the Word, the apostles' teaching, their commitment to fellowship, just as I mentioned, brought people. Their numbers increased. They added to their numbers daily because of their relationship with each other. The reason that happens is that it honors God. It aligns with God's desires. It's attractive because it shows people who God really is and what God can do, the power of His transformation. It's what I call passively missional. (laughs) That's not a negative. But if we are loving each other, like I just said, if we are loving each other, if we are committing to each other, serving each other, speaking truth to each other, we are engaging in the mission of God in our city. But Acts also pushes us to be actively engaged in God's work. And I believe it does that first and foremost by giving us a bigger perspective. Giving us a bigger perspective. I live much of my life with tunnel vision. My life, my immediate vicinity, my ideas and assumptions about the world are filtered through my very narrow lens. And that includes what I think I know about what God's doing. Listen, the power of God, as we've seen here, can't be contained to one place, one people group, or one culture. The Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, whole earth, Jews, Gentiles, Luke is presenting this picture 
of the work of God busting through every single human constraint. That God is doing things in our world that we have no idea is, are going on. What God is doing is bigger than our lives, bigger than our culture or theological tribe, bigger than our nation. Just ask yourself these questions. Does the effectiveness of the gospel rise and fall with the state of the American church? Is the power of God limited because people at my work or in my school or my neighbors aren't interested? Is God's plan to bring the nations to Himself thwarted based on who's in political power? The answer to all these questions from the book of Acts is no. Absolutely not. God's Word is unstoppable. God will stop at nothing for His glory to be shown throughout this whole earth. Listen to these things. I, I found these this week, some research that's been done over the last year that was deeply encouraging to me, that widens our perspective of God's work. Both Africa and Latin America now have more Christians than Europe. Evangelicals, those folks... That, you know, the dirty word in our, in, in, here in this country, but evangelicals, those th folks who are orthodox in their beliefs about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are more concentrated now in the global South, meaning South America, Australia, New Zealand, Africa, than in the North, North America and Europe. Think about this. Over one million Iranians identify as followers of Jesus. Iran, over one million that we know of, identify as followers of Jesus. The church in places like Mexico, Cambodia, China, have experienced exponential growth in recent years. The Zambian church, for example, provides around 60% of the entire nation's health care through donations and people actively serving in health care in that country, as well as some of the best schools that that country has to offer. The church, Christ followers, serving their country in real and tangible ways. It's estimated by 2050 that 3 billion Christians will live in the world. And 1.5 billion of those will live in Africa alone. That widens our perspective, doesn't it? It helps us know that God is on the move. That God is transforming people and places all over this earth. And so as a church community, as we commit to the mission of God, we can do that in very tangible ways. We can pray. We can support missionaries. We can live cross-culturally in our own city. But as we look at this next year and we think, how do we engage in the mission of God? We just need to be open and asking ourselves, where is God worthy? Do I have the eyes to see? Who is God working through? Because odds are, they're not the people I always think he's working through. And how can we join in? How can we join in in the work of God that's maybe outside of our own context and what we're comfortable with? How can we spread out into this city and live actively on mission, joining God where he is already working? Folks, as we commit to these things. We can know that we are aligned with who God is and what He is doing in this world. We can know that His presence and that His power is with us. We can know that God will bless our endeavors. That whatever happens 
this next year. Whatever we face, whatever part of our life gets flipped upside down, we can know that as we continue to commit to God's words, God's people, and God's mission, that we will never lack the presence and power of God Himself. So I hope that as we conclude this study in the book of Acts, I hope that you've been encouraged. And I pray that this will continue to challenge us as we grow into deeper maturity as a church community and as individuals. As we come to our time of communion this morning, we do so in this same spirit. We are breaking bread with each other this morning as an act of unity. We are united through the death and resurrection of Jesus, His blood and His body. We have been brought into relationship with God. We have brought, been brought in to relationship with each other. We are God's people. And so we do this together in remembrance of Him. So I invite you to take the wafer, to take the cup. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming back again. And as Megan makes her way up, I just want to encourage you to take a couple of minutes, just sit there, reflect. Reflect on these words, ask the Spirit to open your eyes, to open your heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.